You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you joining us once again. And on today's show, we're coming to you live from South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. And we're joined by Stephen Smith, CEO and founder of Kitman Labs. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Thomas. Delighted to be here. So I sound a little bit croaky. Uh, apologies for everyone. I've taken advantage of South by Southwest and, and all the craziness that is. And we're a few days into it. And how have you found the festival so far? Yeah, it's been great so far. Just, you know, like any any good conference, I think, um, you know, all the good stuff happens around around the actual event, right? So I think some super conversations, some really smart people. And, you know, a lot of people here, I think, who are very forward thinking, innovative and really trying to push the boundaries, you know, within our industry and a number of other in- industries. So I think it's been, uh, it's been pretty great so far. That's great. Yeah, it's definitely one of my favorite things is the cross-pollination. You know, you have, especially in sports, I, I think sometimes sports is thinks of itself in its own little bubble, but really there's there's a lot of people out there working on bigger problems and pushing in and, and the idea of uh, of data, which is a lot of what we're going to talk about today. It's, it's not necessarily unique to sports. And so the panel that you, you spoke on this morning was around uh, 9,000, is it 9,000%? Yeah, 9,000% data boom. Um, and that it, was, it was all about essentially the explosion that we've seen in data over the last you know, 10, 15 years and actually... Um, you know what's com- what what else is coming, right? And I think um, whilst we have been dealing with a massive increase in the amount of data that's been coming into this industry over the last kind of five ten years, the rate at that which that is accelerating is you know is only getting faster. And o- obviously, the amount of sources that you can get for for an athlete, and maybe we'll, we'll step it back. Can you just give a bit of a description on of Kitman Labs, and then we can kind of dive into the specifics of of that session. Yeah, so we're a um, technology and analytics company that help organizations take the millions of different disparate data sources that they're they're collecting and collating and turn that into intelligence that impacts the things that they most care about. And is, is the term athlete management system, is that outdated or is that... Dis- yeah, I, I, I think from our perspective, you know, I, I think athlete management systems were like the first generation, you know, pieces of software that that existed within this industry to start helping people to consolidate and visualize information. And the the reason I don't like the terminology a- athlete management system is that it doesn't talk about what people care about and people people are not like elite teams are not taking all the information that they have and putting it into something just to like to make it look pretty, right? Power BI, Tableau, Click, tools like that can, you know, can, you know, be modern BI tools can can paint a pretty picture. That is not what people care about in this industry. They care about decision making, and you can't make decisions without intelligence. And that's why you know we've 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 termed our, our our platform the intelligence platform, because it's all about not just like taking that information, putting it in one place, and then and building a nice picture. It's all about how do you actually help people to discern what the meaning from that information, and then how do you turn that that shared data and turn it into shared understanding? How do you help people to communicate? How do you help them to collaborate? How do you help them to make effective decisions? And how do you help them to solve like the biggest issues that are facing them around performance and health and talent identification and talent development? That that's what we care about. So it's it's AMS is a, a I guess a passive generation one. You just kind of put everything together and that's where you stored it. Whereas the intelligence and the next generation that we're talking about is, as you said, uh, active, kind of timely, um, accurate decision making. Yeah, we're like we're seeing people like we're the vast majority of elite teams that have kind of been on this journey of like following data and trying to really embrace it and bring it into their day to day. 
we're seeing them throw their athlete management systems out because you know they they worked so hard for a number of years to like get the data like build the integrations pull it all into one place and then as soon as they get it into one place and they realize hey now what are we going to do with it they realize if they get it back out <laughs> and you know so they spend all this money invest all this time trying to get it together and then they realize well we actually don't know what it means yet so how are we going to turn it into a decision and then they have to go and export the data bring it somewhere else try and run analysis on it and then they have to build like their decision making tools and by the time they do that they realize that what the hell was i paying for this thing for over here that doesn't actually allow me to take it to the next step so you know we've been deathly focused on not just like the integration pieces and not just like replacing those old point solutions that were just kind of data consolidation but how do you really think about the workflow of like what each of the different users within a high performance organization actually do right how do you think about what is the day in the life for them what does that look like what are they trying to by capturing this information what are the decisions that they're trying to empower and then we've been building tools to not only help them to like you know query and analyze that information but then how do you then give them the ability to then turn that into a decision and do it in that moment in that split second that they actually have to to make a decision within the elite environment and that's probably why you know <laughs> we went out last year and, and raised so much capital right i think there's when, when when you start like peeling back the onion in terms of what we're trying to do here we're replacing multiple different companies like multiple point solutions multiple like traditional kind of vendors that were in this space and that's really ambitious so the reason the reason why we went and raised so much capital last year was, was it 52 million was that yeah fi- yep. yeah yes yeah, so we had a 52 million series c which i think probably you know by far above the largest round that's ever been done within this kind of industry or space. And for us, that was all about, you know, ambition, right? It was all about if, if the problem that we're biting off here is so big, right? You can't do that with 20 people. You can't do it with 30 people. There's lots of 30 people companies within the sports space. You just can't do that. You can't do it with $4 million. You can't do it with $10 million. Like, you need to think big, right? These are huge, chunky problems. And it's not, it's not just about building integrations to data it's not just about you know building visualizations it's about something much deeper and much richer and you know we wanted to be ambitious right we're now we're almost 200 people in the company now we're trying to add an another 90 at the moment um and you know we, we we raised all that capital because we believe that this industry deserves more and we believe that you know the data and the investment that teams are making and collecting collecting information needs to be turned into intelligence right we, we're, we've countless organizations that we walk into who will tell us that like they have data coming out their ears like they're data rich but insights poor and you know we want to fix that and that's to i mean the the nine thousand percent um data data boom that's with the and correct me if i'm wrong but would be with basically the way that devices either wearable or or other um are getting cheaper, they're getting smaller, they're getting easier to use, they're getting more accurate, they're getting more of them. So is that, is that what that data that data boom is? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's coming from every area of high performance. So whether it's scouting and recruiting data, whether it's, you know, tactical and on-field data, whether it's coaching information, like training sessions and coaching practice sessions are getting so instrumented now. Like 10 years ago when I worked in professional sport, th- like the the real kind of granular contextual information was the information that was coming from game day, right? Optical trackers and, you know, tagging of like exactly what's happening from a performance and a tactical technical perspective. That was happening 10 years ago. Now that's happening in practice. Every single practice is coded to that level as well. The granularity is there is incredible. And even 10 years ago, you know, we saw 
the immersion of, of, of like wearable devices coming from, primarily from Australia. And that produced a huge amount of information about the XYZ and coordinates of athletes and what they were doing. Now what we're seeing is that instead of just having the XYZ and we see where they are, we're having XYZ across multiple different like locations and body parts. So now instead of having just one one piece of information about where you are, how fast you're moving, etc., we have like your ankles, your feet, your wrists, your knees, your hips, your shoulders, your ears, your like your nose. So like now we have we have an explosion of anatomical information that's coming like at us multiple like multiple times a second as well through a game, and you're getting information about the ball. So now you're actually starting to bring, you, you can start to understand the tactical pieces because you know what that person is doing, you know their mechanics, you know their distance to the ball, you know how they're like, you know how they're looking at someone else. Like, you're like it's becoming incredibly rich. And, you know, we, I think when we first started this company in 2014, we were collecting on average about 95,000 data points per athlete per year. Um, last year, we, we crossed a threshold of like two and a half million data points per athlete per year. And now that's pretty close to about four million already, like a couple of months later. So wow, <laughs> it's just like you think about how hard that is for like you have 40, 50 guys in your in your roster times like, you know, four million, like you're, you're, you know, you're 150, 200 million data points a year coming into that organization. And and that's just who's on your roster, let alone com- Ex- competition, scouting, exactly. all that kind of stuff. Exactly. And you, try and try and like think about how do you break that down for decision making. And for and like most people don't understand this who are outside of the sports industry. But your ability to make a decision and the window that you have to make a decision in sport is not like other businesses. You can't sit around and wait for like, you know, to go and do your research, do your analysis and then make it, you know, make an, an evidence based or informed decision. An athlete walks into the training room or walks into the gym floor, or walks out onto the practice field, and you have seconds to, to culminate like all of the information that's come from all of the different stakeholders and make a decision about what they do in that moment. And that like what they do in that moment influences, you know, can influence their health, it can influence their performance, you know, it can influence it can influence the, the, the trajectory of your season. And And that changes that changes session to session, day to day, week to week. Minute to minute. Yeah. yeah. So like I think a lot of people outside this industry don't understand how fast it needs to be and how informed and quality decisions the decision need to be. And that's to your point about the AMS thing. That is why AMS doesn't work. That's why the whole the whole industry of like athlete management system is broken because that that is something that um, is designed around reporting. It's designed purely around okay, like here's my information, build my chart, let's see what this looks like. When actually the the business of performance is all about the efficacy of your decision making like whether that's like that that starts at the player on the field like on the field and what they're doing but it translates all the way through that what happens like every single moment that culminates in like the development of like that single moment that happens on the field everything that happens in the week leading to that everything that happens in preseason, etc all of those those decisions culminate in, in the product that we see and the performance that's on the field and so uh, a particular area that has emerged in the last few years and probably more so in, in just in terms of the discussion in that space around injury prevention and prediction so the the theory that was was kind of the the going theory i guess was if you have enough data on someone you can basically get to a point theoretically where you can say that they are at high risk for injury where does that sit what are your views on that that's something that we talked about before. Sam Robertson's fantastic Twitter thread on this, yep. which is is just great. When I when I lecture guest lecture students, I always bring that up and say, 
here's how you here's how you communicate information efficiently. Um, but can you just share a little bit about your opinions on that and and I guess how Kitman approaches that that area? Yeah, absolutely. And I've had this conversation with uh, with with Sam before as well. And I think um, you know on multiple different occasions. Um, our perspective on this, I think, or at least my perspective on this, has changed throughout the years, right? When I first started out at this, and we first started, like, when I was working in professional sport, and we started to collect all this information, our belief was, yes, injury prediction, we're going to be able to come in here, we're going to be able to identify exactly what, you know, what's causing the this, this risk and be able to drive, you know, our decisions off that. And that was... That was the view of a, a very excited and probably very naive practitioner, right? <laughs> I think what we've figured out throughout the years is that this is much more complex. It's way more nuanced. Human beings are sophisticated like specimens. And, you know, that, that requires a very specific and, 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 and very complex, you know, solution as well. So, you know, from our perspective, we, we don't believe that injury prediction is, is possible, but we do believe in, in, you know, in risk assessment, right? And, and that's, you know, from a, a data and analytics perspective, that's what we want to understand is like, you know, can we start to bring together enough information to identify those patterns and to be able to understand when somebody's risk level has, has increased or decreased? Um, and that's taken a, a long time to like to get to that headspace, and I think it's taken also a lot, taken a lot of data to be able to help us to inform that process. But I think when we when we talk about you know risk assessment within with regards to injuries, um, I think there's been a lot of um, there's been a lot of organizations that have overpromised and underdelivered in this area. I think there's a lot of people that want to like want to try and make something that's really complex, really simple. And I get that, like from a practitioner's perspective, we need the solution, we need the thing that we use every day to make a decision has to be simple. But how we actually come to that meaning, how we come to that interpretation, how we come to that assessment cannot be simple. And it's gotta be easy to understand, right? And I, I, one of the reasons why I love Sam's perspective on this as well is like he is a practitioner, right? He understands it, he gets it. Um, I think there's a lot of companies that wanna come out and say, here's our injury prediction model and it's a black box algorithm that's our ip and that's our secret formula and you just have to trust us and i from if i put back yeah on we we could tell you we'd have to kill you essentially exactly. like yeah we can't exactly. we can't explain exactly how this works yeah. because if we did that that would be giving away our entire company so just yeah. trust us yeah and, and i think that's unfair right it's it's extremely unfair because if you think of the gravity of these decisions that practitioners have been asked to make and they're being asked to educate a, co a coach and tell them, hey, coach, this is a decision that we should make and here's why, if they can't explain that, it's impossible. And they also have to make that decision and, and communicate and educate the athlete and bring them on that journey. And they have to explain to the athlete, this is why you're not going to do this or this is why you're going to, this is why you're going to do this or this is why something different is going to happen to you. And if they can't explain that from a very like educated perspective and a very transparent perspective, then they lose all trust. They lose all trust, they do lose all credibility, and they're not gonna make that decision. And I think sometimes some of the technology partners that work in this, in this industry don't get that and don't understand the gravity of the decision that's being made. And from our perspective, it's why with the intelligence platform, we, we believe in our approach to, to, to analytics is essentially to build like, like research quality tools, like transparent, like evidence-based, objective, research quality tools that allow practitioners to see exactly what's going on and how we get there, and also like to allow them to make the decision based off that. Um, and we have a huge focus on data quality and consistency because of that, because the reality is the data quality within the industry has to improve. Like the so, so that's an interesting point around, and I was going to ask about uh, industry standards. So that's something that even talking about, so the risk assessment, like 
how is that visually presented or is how is that communicated to a practitioner? Is it, you know, is it a score? Is it, is it color-coded? Is it something that they can do themselves? And then the follow-up question to that is, is there a basically way that you can translate it, that across all sports, across the industry, going, this is what we think is, you know, as, as other, I guess, um, analogizing to like safety, for instance, like, you know, oil and gas or something like that will have standards. And that yep. is, this is the standard of, insert whatever area here around safety and then that's what we're acceptable with and everyone understands that you can go from sport to sport club to club whatever it is do we have that do we need it how do we get there yeah no, i think we have to get there i think as the industry we have to get there we have to demand it of each other like i i think um it's something that we would certainly champion and would love to be a part of how do we drive this standard and we're, we're trying to do it ourselves but like we would like to see this become something bigger right so our approach is that it's got to be configurable, right? You know, even the research question that we're asking has got to be configurable. So if you think like injury risk assessment, right, is a blanket term and within different environments, like different environments have like different sports, different position groups, have different injuries. They, you know, different teams train in different ways, play and train in different ways because of their own strategy, because of the athletes that they have. And that means that risk manifests itself in different ways. So the types of injuries that occur, how they occur, when they occur, all of that is completely different. And from our perspective, what we're trying to do is develop tools that allow practitioners to choose the exact research question that they're a asking. So instead of coming in and saying, this is an injury you know, prediction model that predicts all injuries, like how a rotator cuff injury occurs versus like an ACL or versus an ankle ligament or a hamstring, they're completely different structures of the body and they, they degradate like in completely different ways and, and therefore the risk factors that will drive them will be different. Um, so we believe like we believe in allowing people to, to decide that, to decide, okay, well, am I trying to am I trying to like stop ankle injuries or am I trying to stop knee injuries? Am I trying to stop all lower limb injuries? You know, what data do I want to include in, in, in this, this piece of analysis? Because some people may believe that, you know, throwing everything is important into a model is important some people may believe that actually we we want to we want to avoid this this data over here we know we don't have the quality or consistency we don't want that like messing up the, the modeling techniques etc so we've built tools that allow them to control all of that they control the data they control like the the subjects that they're, they're that they're building the models on they control the types of injuries they control the timelines of data that they're looking at they control even the calculations that they're placing or the transformation that's happening on the data so so it's empowering them to make the best of their data rather than saying we have a model from the data that we've got and we'll just spit out an answer for you. Correct, exactly. Yeah. And then the, like once we get all the data in, you know, we're building a standardized mechanism for how like the data is assessed and we're using like industry best practice, like, you know, data science, statistical analysis, you know, even like machine learning, artificial intelligence capabilities that are, that are in within that modeling. But then what we push back out is, is a, a, a daily, essentially a daily risk score. And from there, when somebody wants to be notified about that, that's, a, that's up to them, right? So if they have an athlete and they want to know when that person is above 2% risk, they can choose that. If they want to know when someone's above 20% risk, they can control that. And they can control that on, on an individual basis because every athlete in your, in your roster probably has a different value and at different times of the year has a different value to you, right? So which means that you can take more or less risk at, at different periods of time. Um, but we, what we then care about, okay, we have our daily risk score, great, what does that mean? So, okay, his risk has increased or decreased, or his or her uh, like re risk has increased or decreased, what does that mean? So from there, we allow people to drill down in to understand what are the contributing factors? Why has this risk score changed? What does that look like? 
and you know which pieces are contributing most to that so you can then understand okay great i now know exactly what the issue is and now i can actually go and intervene so we build transparency like from top to bottom through the process um, and allow people to see what that is and that that's what we believe allow somebody to to be able to then go and have a powerful conversation and actually put in place a decision that they can stand behind and they can trust right um and i think w with with that there's a couple of other pieces that are really important to us from transparency perspective which is well how good is the model like anybody can build a model right you can build a model with a high detection rate but how many f like how many false positives how many false negatives essentially uh, am, I, am i getting so what's the sensitivity what's the precision of that model and you know if that means that it tells us that hey you know you're like seventy-five percent of the decisions that you're making are, fa are false positives. As long as you know that one in four is good, like is that is that good enough? And we allow the practitioners again to decide. Okay, what what you know what their sensitivity rate, etc., needs needs to look like for them to make good decisions. Um, and off the back of that, then you can understand. Okay, well, how do I get my sensitivity rate up? Right, what pieces of data and information? Like where where is my data hygiene and data quality good enough? Where is it not good enough? What do we need to do? How do we improve that? Because it's a flywheel. And the only way that this industry is get gets better, I think, is through feedback and is through trans transparency, and and that's something that we've we've been really really trying to push, and it's something that we've been really really investing in over the last number of years. And, and so, data ownership, obviously, in the UK with or Europe in GDPR, the um, data protection um, regime that's that's come in, and um, probably was a lot scarier when it came out in terms of actually how much um, anyone's been prosecuted or or hit with the big stick, um, probably not as much as as predicted at the time. Um, but there's been some interesting commentary around athletes and owning what do they own, where they own data. The US as well, big markets like that. Do you think we're heading for, I guess, some some issues there, some some negative issues, or is that one of those things where it's kind of overblown um, in terms of the worst case scenario of people suing each other for who owns data and athletes selling their data separately, taking it with them, all that kind of stuff, that kind of dystopian end. Um, or do you think that that's, that's not going to go that way? Yeah, I mean, this is, again, something we've been talking about for years is that I think um, we're probably sitting on a minefield. <laughs> um, and I think the way that um, certain organizations have dealt with, like, data ownership, data rights, I think, you know, there, there, there certainly needs to be change within the industry. From our perspective, we've always talked about the fact that every piece of data that, that's collected within this industry should be classified as medical records, um, regardless of whether it's performance data, because if the goal that everybody's working towards is to be able to make these, um, you know, to be able to make... Um, like so scientific decisions, I guess, is, is medical... Is, it, is, that, is that what it is? I guess the, the mentality and around medical data and also obviously all the restrictions, regulations that come with protecting that, looking after it, but also um, I guess the accuracy. You know, you don't go into a hospital and someone just kind of fudges what your, your heart rate is. You know, there's a, there's a certain level of what it needs to be. Is, is that what that is? Yeah, well, like, if you can derive when somebody is likely to break or that they're an elevated, elevated risk of breaking and you're deriving that based off like commingling performance data like historical performance data and, and medical data you can't do that without the performance data because you don't know you know you, you need to know what they've done the stress and strain that's been placed on the activities that they've been taking part in etc so if you're using that then to like to derive a medical like a medically associated outcome then it probably all falls under the, pu the purview of being like PII 
So we've constructed our system in such a way that every piece of information is stored like a, like, like a medical record. Every piece of information is de-identified and anonymized within the, within the database and we store it all. We do not distinguish between one and the other. Um, and that's the, way we, that's the way we treat it. And I, I think um, there's going to be, we, we talked about it on the panel this morning and had a really interesting conversation afterwards with, with Maggie Carlyle, the, the general counsel for the PAC-12. And you know, I, I think you know, everybody in the industry believes that data rights um and how and how the like how people are looking at that today like how all different stakeholders whether you're technology partner of like a team or a league whether you're a conference or a league or whether you're the, the the school or team or whether you're like the athlete that's in in the middle of all of this um data rights and how that works within the elite performance space needs to change and i think we'll probably find that like you know multiple pieces of information like medical data end up actually you know, end up having multiple different types of data rights associated with them, depending on who the stakeholder is that's involved. And you know, we saw it recently. Patrick Mahomes releasing his like his heart rate data right from one of the, one of the playoff games, and I think it showcased that I if we just looked at his heart rate data from the game, it doesn't really tell you anything. Like if you just had that just by itself, here's his heart rate data from this day, not that exciting. But as soon as you commingle that with the performance data, and they could see, well, his heart rate actually was lower when he was on the field and playing, and his heart rate was higher when he was sitting on the bench. Like the context of the, the the performance data when you overlaid it with the with the medical data or heart rate data became really interesting and that told a really interesting narrative and that presents um you know revenue opportunities right so revenue opportunities are going to drive like interesting use cases for data that would have been seen before as like as you know something proprietary or something that you know sh you know sh shouldn't be leveraged in that in that way but because there's, you know, sports driven by sport is driven by revenue. It's driven by money. There are going to be interesting opportunities that come from how this type of data is leveraged and how it's commingled with other sources to to turn it into intelligence and therefore then to turn it into opportunity. Um, and I think the teams and leagues and athletes that embrace that the fastest are going to be the ones that make huge opportunity um, within the next five ten years. It's uh, another one when I when I lecture universities, I, I pull up stuff from Whoop, um, and they have that with Patrick Mahomes, and they had um, a NASCAR driver, uh, and also with um, uh, I think it was golf, and I think it might have been Maury, Maury McElroy, but his heart rate's way higher than the NASCAR driver going like three hundred kilometers now, <laughs> which is you know to anyone that says golf isn't an extreme sport, there you go, that's <laughs> that's that's proving them wrong. But it you're right, it's 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 a revenue opportunity. I think also. Um, just this this like protectionist mentality of well we can't show anyone else that it goes well really is knowing yeah. is knowing Patrick Mahomes heart rate really going to help you stop him or beat him like it's in terms of all the other analysis that's going on I, I think there are things around looking at data and then comparing sports to other industries say we were talking about medical before but um, financial regulations if you have performance data and then you use that and obviously sports betting the boom that's happening in the US here is that insider trading, if you know what I mean? Like, yep. is, there, mm -hmm. is there one of those things? And another reason, just another reason to protect it, make sure it's secure, and that the only the right people that need to access it can. Yeah, well, I have a very close friend at home who's a, an, an early in investor in this business um, who played rugby for Ireland for, you know, I think 10 odd years. His name is Jamie Heaslip. He was an Irish captain for a while. He always talked about the fact that, like, you know, he's a professional athlete. His body is his business. 
And therefore, like, who is somebody else to decide whether he does or doesn't want to share, like, some of his medical data if he believes that there's an opportunity for him to monetize on it? And that's, I think that, like, it may sound extreme, but, like, they commit their bodies, like, to this industry and for, like, for money, <laughs> for yeah. revenue opportunity. Like, that's, that's what they do. So, like, why, like, whether, you know, whether they pull on, like, a Nike t-shirt and get a photo shoot done and get paid for that, or whether they, like, share something interesting about themselves that tells a story that interests fans and brings them closer to the game and closer to that person and allows them to, like, you know, allows them to, to show something cool and unique about themselves... I don't see why that's wrong. Like, I think that I think that's a huge untapped opportunity that will will help to push this industry forward. Because the more money that comes into this industry, the more opportunities going to be created off the back of that. The more investment that's going o- going to go into like, you know, improving performance, improving player health and safety, and all of that provides like a, a better landscape for like you know the things that we care about. And I mean, an easy way to do it is is purely opt in, and then whatever revenue opportunity from that is going. Not dire- maybe not directly to the athletes, but at least you know they get a share. It's one of those things. If you opt in, and we you know, chuck a, a logo on this, essentially at its most basic level in terms of sponsoring something like that, yeah. Um, yeah then you get a share of that revenue stuff, driving all that. I, I think it's that it's probably that that opt in part of it. But as you said, they already opt in to doing this. Their body is their business, and it'll probably get to a point in professional sports. Well, that's just part of it, you know, in the Absolutely. same way that you have to do press and media and you have to turn up to these, you know, community days, or whatever, it's all the other stuff that happens outside of being on the field. And that's just part of being a pro athlete and being paid a handsome sum to play sports. It'd probably just be part of it. And if you don't want to do that, that's okay. You're but not, you're not going to get paid. I, I, I think it's going to, it'll be the new, new normal, right? It's just going to be what's expected. You're like, you're 100% right. People like athletes will walk in, they'll expect to do that and they will get rewarded for it, right? And I, you know, I, I don't think that philosophically there is anything wrong with that. And I do think the byproduct of that means like more investment to, to allow them to like achieve their potential and to be better and stay at the pinnacle of their career for longer. And I think there's something really exciting about that. Like if I was, you know, a, a pro athlete these days, I would be embracing this movement. Like, and, and I, I think I, I think we will see that right now. I think we are seeing that. I think teams and leagues all over the globe are searching for ways to turn their data into intelligence. And, you know, quite frankly, that that's why we exist. So do you think just, I mean, maybe this is too simplistic, but just qualifying or saying that this is medical data does that stop a lot of issues in terms of because then if it's medical data it is private i can't on sell it to another team because that's one of those um again just kind of dystopian examples we've had is you transfer a player but then you have to pay separately for their data profile so for all the time that they were at that club they were within were in your four walls and you gathered all this information off them um training days performance you know everything every little minute piece I'll, I'll give you this player but then you got to pay extra for this yeah it's a it's a it's a gray area today because you know without getting too nerdy on the oh, nerd out <laughs> go for it go the, for it the, Stephen. The, the gdpr interpretations or like you know even hip like uh, interpretations um as a technology vendor a partner of these organizations we are we're seen as a, a, a data processor right that that's that's our role 
and the teams themselves or leagues or governing bodies etc they're generally data controllers and then the athletes are data owners right that that's how we that that's that's the interpretation that's taken like especially with 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 medical data and what that means is that as like an athlete moves from one organization to another if he is the data owner, he or she is a data owner, that's their information. They get to bring it all with them, right? If the teams are data controllers, they, their job is just to, like, you know, safeguard that information, make sure the right, the right practices are in place. Where things are gray today because of the different types of interpretations of which information is medical and which is not, for some organizations, that means that if they're investing in some other technology to capture some information on you, if you then go to get traded to some other team, there's a gray area about who actually owns that information if it's not purely perceived to be medical information. Therefore, do you have the rights to transport that information? Because they may they they may deem that they're the data owner in that scenario because it's not a piece of medical information. It's not like, but the, the, again, the interpretation of medical information <laughs> um, uh, is, is is also a little gray. So, um, I my personal opinion is that we should have everything. Everything should be deemed a, a, as a piece of medical information. It should all follow the athlete, and we should all just invest in like making each other better. And I don't like, you know, the, 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 what we've really seen with like with the explosion in data over the last number of years is having it doesn't actually make you better. Using it is what yep. makes you better. And how you use it, and ha- like that's where people should be focusing their effort is how do we turn this into intelligence? How do we turn this into a weapon? How do we like how do we really leverage this for the goals that we're we're thinking about, and I, I think most modern organizations today, when you get in, they're starting with why now, whereas before they weren't. Before they were like, oh, we need to capture this information over here. Now we're sitting down having really good conversations about what are we going to do with this? What do we want? What are the questions that we want to answer? You know, what does that need to look like? What are the decisions that we're trying to shape with this? And I think the teams that like the teams that are that are now in that mentality and thinking about, okay, what are the questions? What information do we need? They are the ones that are making massive strides forward now, whereas they felt like they were completely debilitated for years with all this data. They felt like they, were, they weren't making use of even 5% of the information that they have. And now they're the ones that are, that are making the strides. They're the ones that are having an impact. Great, yeah. Instead of spending money on a data profile, just go hire another data analyst. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe money well spent uh, there. Well, thank you so much for your time, Stephen. Before we go, I've got one final question for you. Um, we ask all our guests, what is your favorite sporting moment of all time? Oh, that is a very good question. Um, I was very lucky to be involved in a team that won three European Cups. And I think being involved and being on the field for each of those wins was was really, really special and something that like I'll never forget. And, you know... I, but I think my favorite moment of all was um, in 2009, a team that I was working with, Leinster Rugby, um, had been, they'd been known for having superstar talent and, but n- you know, never winning anything and you know, falling over on, on the big stage. And we actually had an Australian head coach, a guy called Michael Checker, who came in and turned the organization around and you know, you know, built, he, he, he built a, a culture of, I think, self-belief and aggression within that organization that like I personally and, and professionally learned a lot from. And during that year we, we had been we'd been used to being the whipping boys of Monster Rugby in in Ireland who would you know they won I think two two European Cups before this and the year or two years beforehand we, we met them in a European Cup quarter final and like they you know they, they left it all out there and we, we we went home with our tail between our legs. And uh 
that year um we got to play them in in the national stadium in ireland and you know we were we were written off by all of the all of the press and all the media i think they dubbed us the leinster ladyboys before we showed up and uh we went along that day and i think we put 40 points on them um, and that that was in the lead up to then winning our first european cup and the noise inside that stadium and it, like it was in our hometown in, in Dublin and our, our team wore blue, their their team wore wet, red and when we walked into the stadium, the place was red everywhere. So they had infiltrated the stadium. That's right. <laughs> and uh, I've never experienced anything quite like the noise. Um, and even though we didn't pick up the trophy that day, it was a it was a pivotal moment I think in our evolution as a brand and as a as an organization as as a team like it built steel in our organization and I'll never forget that day as long as I live that was most certainly the best the best sporting occasion I've ever been involved in. That's awesome. How was it out in Dublin afterwards? <laughs> I tell you, it was one of the greatest nights, uh, <laughs> one of the greatest nights we've ever had in our lives. Well, I tell you, it was. Uh, it was different, yeah, it was different, uh, but uh, yeah, incredible memories, and, and that, that's what sport's about, right, that's why I love being involved in this industry, yep. like, sport has the ability to transcend you to a place, right, I, I'm like, in my mind right now as we're talking, I can see myself there, I know where we were that night, right, and I think that, you know, I'll be feeling good for the next couple of days, just just based off the conversation that we've had because of that, and that's why sport is so magical, and that's why... That's why I'm so passionate about this space and, and what we're doing because it does have the ability to really captivate people's minds and, and to really do something different for people. Yep, 100% agree with that. Thank you so much for your time, Stephen. Great to have you on the show. Appreciate it, Thomas. Thank you.